Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons, that's Tom Fernelli, that's Danny Cannell, I'm Chip Patterson. We got a loaded show for you today. There is a lot of news breaking all around college football. We've got uh, college football players who are sticking up for their right to not only play, but their right to try and play under safe conditions and maintain uh, health both on and off the field. Uh, And we've got uh, Big Ten win totals. (laughs) Right? Don't we? Wait, are we t- <laughs> under. I'm taking the <laughs> under on every Do single we, one. <laughs> are we? Are we not doing Big Ten win totals? Are no, I? So. I don't. We should have just. We should have just put our head down, not talked about anything else today, and just went about a big total, Big Ten win total by like nothing else is happening. I I've thought about the uh, just just start an alternate universe series of podcasts where we go through and we're actually picking each week, throwing locks out, and uh, just just. You know what? Trust tree, baby. It's just it's just us here. We don't have to act like the uh, the games aren't being canceled or taken off the schedule. Well, keep that option on the table because I feel we might have to use it. So keep it, but keep it on the back burner. Three p.m. here on a Monday. Uh, here's uh, let's let's sort of run through um, some of the ups and downs of the weekend. At least where we stand right now is that. The Big Ten is trending towards not playing college football in 2020, at least as a league decision. There has been some various reporting. I I tend to think that the uh, no everyone's trying to jump because they feel like they've read the tea leaves, and so everyone's taking every little bit or every little sourced information to get there. But we are starting to see a disconnect, especially as we sit here and record. And so I want to start at the Big Ten. The The disconnect is between the university presidents, the uh, conference commissioner, Kevin Warren, and then some of the head coaches and then even the players within the Big Ten. Uh, Justin Fields, among the players that participated in a Zoom call on Sunday night along with Chuba Hubbard from Oklahoma State, Najee Harris from Alabama, Penny Sewell from Oregon, Trevor Lawrence and Darian Rencher from Clemson. Um, that's, who am I missing? I know that all Power Five conferences were represented. I guess I got at least most of them right there. I think that, you know, there is in this revised set of expectations from the We Are United and We Want to Play movements, a very, very sharp focus on playing, but also guaranteeing eligibility, also guaranteeing some health and safety protocols all across the board. There are coaches who are trying to fight for their players, but again, a disconnect from what seems to be a growing trend towards the Big Ten moving towards uh, not playing football in 2020. I think there is another piece of this, especially with Scott Frost comments that we can get to in terms of what happens if a school wants to move forward. I've got some, uh, at least somewhat, uh, somewhat specific thoughts on that. But for right now, is all of this momentum from coaches and from players, do you think that it's enough to allow uh, either individual schools or the conference as a whole to be playing football in 2020? No. 
No, if they would have started this like five months ago, maybe. You think so? But maybe. You yeah. you had a better chance if you started five months ago than you do now. Now it's too late. We're, I mean, we're trending towards, like you said, the Big Ten is likely, based on the tea leaves that we're reading from everybody, within the next 24 to 48 hours, the Big Ten is going to be announcing that it's canceling the season. There's reports that the Pac-12 is pretty much going to do it as soon as the Big Ten does, if not at the same time as a joint statement. And once that happens, it's only going to be a matter of time before the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC do the same thing, no matter what they're posturing right now. No, I mean, you, you're telling me you can't, can't see if everybody a world, else is doing it. You can't see a world where the SEC is just double burdened everybody and saying, we're playing. No, <laughs> like, because it's, it's gonna not be- going to be up to the coaches and the athletic directors. It's going to be up to the school presidents. It's going to be up to a whole lot of things that have absolutely nothing to do with any of the coaches or the players. They're not going to play once everybody else does it. Everybody's just kind of too scared to be the first to say so. But as soon as somebody else does and they have the excuse and they can just kind of follow along, the SEC, because of what you're getting at being like, you know, the thought that maybe they would stick out, that's the reason they'll never be the first to do it. Because they can't be the SEC. It would go completely against its brand to be like, no, we don't want to do it because, you know, they're too tough. They're too this. They're too that. As soon as the Big Ten does it and the Pac-12 does it, the SEC will say, okay, well, everybody else is doing it. We should do it, too. It's the right thing to do. I I don't know. I'm kind of with Barton. I'm, maybe it's maybe it's just a hopeful optimism, which, you know, I know it's not a plan. I know it's not there. I I don't I feel like you may be underestimating the power of college football in the South, even with the school presidents, even with some of the liabilities. And I also think that maybe this push, which is it's, you know, to use a football term, this is a Hail Mary. Like what we saw last night was a Hail Mary and the ball is in the air. The only thing is, does it get completed or does it get batted down and then the season shut down? I do think there is a massive movement that is taking place where you know, hey, the player's voice might actually matter and be heard where you start to, and this is the loophole that I think the players are really pushing for, which makes a ton of sense. And it's something that Barton's brought up, I know. Uh, It's something that I brought up, is that the safest place for college players, football players, might actually be on the team. And I don't think that's something that a lot of people, I think the assumption was, and it might be a correct assumption, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, the assumption has been, oh, they're in danger if they're playing football because they're going to be in a confined space. They're going to be tackling and it's going to be dangerous. I think players are are alerting the decision makers to say, I don't want to have to stay at home potentially if that's what their school is not letting students on campus. I think they're saying, no, 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 We the safest place we can be if you truly care about our health and safety is actually on the team going through the protocols having our temperature checked if we do get a positive test getting the best medical care so i think that might be an angle that the players have taken that could actually influence some of the decision makers but the I, if they if they decide to play, let's, let's say that they do decide say the pac 12 and the big 12 announce and you know louisville coach scott satterfield was out here saying that as of this morning acc is going to consider continue to move forward and based on my understanding it's not we are going to move forward and we are going to play all 11 games because if we decide to start the season, then you know we are absolutely going to finish it. I think it is a it is them declining to follow the lead with an immediate decision. If you decide to move forward, the virus isn't gone. If you decide to move forward, it's not like you could uh, find yourself in a position like the Big Ten was at a couple weeks ago where five schools all had their football programs in quarantine. Like, 
there are so many pitfalls ahead. I know this feels like it is a major fork in the road, but to me, the Big Ten and the Pac-12, it sure seems like they're going to act first, but that doesn't guarantee that we're going to have full or complete seasons from the ACC, the SEC, or the Big 12, or that they might decide to make those same decisions on their own based on the way that things happen to go as they decide to work their way towards a football season. The, The conferences are acting selfishly, and so I do think that the ACC and the SEC sure seem to be trending towards we're going to give this a shot and I'm willing to give if like the, did you see the Wake Forest university president speaking to the team this morning? And Mm -hmm. you know, the team said, look, you've given us all these rules. We followed all your rules. We are taking this seriously. We are trying our best. I'm willing to give the medical advisors who are speaking to these conferences and these university presidents, I'm willing to give them a shot to put in place the protocols. But, you know, we've seen from some of these strict protocols, if all of a sudden you start seeing massive outbreaks or quarantines, then it's going to be a decision that becomes easier than it is here in August 10th when we're only getting started with fall camp to be able to cancel the season. So, like, I, I tend to think that the ACC and the SEC are going to continue moving forward but I don't think that guarantees at all that they're not going to end up in the position where the Big Ten's at now when presented with more information or some kind of uh, change in the the medical situation once they start hitting and popping pads. I, I take exception to something that Danny mentioned earlier and Barton's mentioned it too. The idea of the players are safer if they're at school. And I understand what you're saying and why you're saying it, but I don't know that I truly agree that they're safer. I think that we're confusing safety with medical access. I think that if they're on campus and they're in the bubble, they're getting tested more often. But getting tested doesn't keep you safe from COVID. It just tells you if you have COVID. And then once you have it, okay, you've got access to treatment. And that's a good thing. So I get what you're saying there. But I think we're confusing safety with just availability of healthcare. Once you get it, you get it. And there was a story in the Washington Post on Saturday. Now, I'm just gonna read a part of it. About the effects, there's not enough data so far to confirm it, but the effects of what they're seeing from COVID, not just on people in general, but athletes in particular. I'll read. Infectious disease and cardiovascular experts do not have enough data to make conclusions about how COVID-19 might affect an athlete's heart. And even recent studies of other populations require further validations. But what they have seen has alarmed them. Quote, we are very we have very strong, serious concerns about the potential for COVID to affect athletes cardiovascularly, said Michael Emery, the co-director of the sports cardiology department at the Cleveland Clinic. When you look at COVID in general, there seems to be a higher predilection for involvement with the heart than about any other virus we've seen. Emery said cardiological experts worldwide have published five or six significant papers regarding COVID-19 in athletes. Quote, all the papers agree that there should be a heightened level of concern with this virus and cardiac involvement in athletes, Emery said. While the specifics and suggestions of how to manage the risk differ in those papers, quote, the overall level of concern is greatly there. Dean Winslow, an infectious disease doctor at Stanford, said research has shown as many as 20 percent of people who recover from COVID show cardiac abnormalities. Okay. I disagree with them being safe just because they're on campus. Right. Okay. But he, so here's the here is the here's the point that I, I would make, because I agree with what you're saying. Like the when I talk about they're in a better situation to to be safe 
from COVID. I, I'm yes, part of it is access to medical care, doctors, all that sort of things. But that that's that's really not what I'm talking about. I, I'm I'm actually more referring to the idea that they have players have a co- collective um, a purpose. They have they have they, they have shared. Um, ideology that they are trying to stay disciplined. They have protocols in place within the facility and outside the facility that they are participating and engaging in. They are regularly tested. They have they are forced to quarantine if they have contact with anyone that's been tested positive. There's all these protocols that are in place with the intent of keeping them safe, with the intent of keeping the spread contained. And and if there's no season, then all of those guys go out into the general population do they? where there is no. Do what they? Do you yeah, they, they got? No, UConn. All right, so the, uh, UConn well, is going to say. Let me finish. Either way, either they go back to the student population or they go back home. Either way, regardless, it's it, you're still putting them in a, in a situation in which they have less knowledge as to sort of their exposure to COVID and less opportunity to contain that exposure to COVID. And, I, and, and again, we could talk about whether they're on campus is safe or not. We can talk about whether they're off campus is safe or not. Either one, to me, is is a more is an environment where you are more likely to to catch the the, the virus. Comments than, from your than, boy Ricky Ronnie with ODU canceling its season lead me to believe that even though the Monarchs aren't going to play in 2020, players are at that facility. And they're going to continue having the support services. They're going to continue to be monitored. And they're going, they going to continue. Are, are they going to continue to be tested three times a week or two times a week? And are they going to continue to have the incentive to try to quarantine themselves, to try to be contained within their other teammates, to try to 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 um, to, to check each other and and stay disciplined? Or are they just going to be regular students? Which it, and, this and is which, no. Go ahead. And, sorry. And and so so again. And, and I, I don't want to I do not want to present this as if it's an easy decision. I don't want to present this as if there is a right answer and a wrong answer. But I do believe and I believe this strongly that if the, the problem here is that if something were to happen on a campus, if something were to happen in a season and the president or the AD that allowed that to happen and uh, God forbid someone were to die or even if someone were to just there would be a, a mass outbreak. Then they then they have to they have to shoulder that they you know they it is on them, but my my belief is that whatever happens, whatever whatever the the case count is in a, in a season within those protocols and 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 Old Dominion by the way I'm not even including it. This is really to me a Power Five conversation uh, because the Power Fives are the programs with the resources to be able to instill these sort of protocols and, and, and act on them. But within it, whatever were to occur within a season, my theory, my belief is that if there were not to be a season, that number would be higher. Those incidents would be higher. And the problem is there's no way to prove that. And so I understand the problem that confronts a, a decision maker because, you know, it's all hypothetical. If, if there was, if someone, if, if something serious happens, they can't say, well, you know, you guys know, if I'd sent him home, something worse would have happened. So I get that how difficult that that decision is to make, but I do believe, and and look, based on what I know, I'm not you know I'm I'm not a doctor, but but based on what I know, what I've read, what I've heard, I, it it's it strikes me as a very reasonable assumption to make that they are in a better position to 
to to live with the, the virus on campus with that program than on campus without that program or off campus without that program. I, I that, hear you, and I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, but you like this is a hypothetical. But we have situations right now that aren't a hypothetical. You talk about the collective intent. Would you agree that Major League Baseball players have a collective intent to follow the rules? Because so far in Major League Baseball, a sport that includes people who are owned, you know, teams owned by billionaires and players who are making a minimum of 500 grand a year, who actually have more on the line than most of the players playing college football do. We have seen one team have numerous cases and miss another games. We've seen the St. Louis Cardinals, who've re- just had 13 games in a 60-game season, postponed because they went out and they didn't follow the rules. They've had over 20% of their season canceled so far. We had a situation in Chicago this weekend where a pitcher for the Cleveland Indians, who is a Chicago native, was in town playing the White Sox. After the game on Saturday, did he go back to the hotel? No. He went out with his friends in Chicago. He had to be, they sent him home back to Cleveland, made him drive in a rental car. These are professional athletes with a whole lot more on the line right now than most of these kids playing college football who are already making money. And we've already seen examples of they're not all willing to follow the rules. So how can we sit here and think that the college, the players, these student athletes are all going to follow the rules? It's not a monolith. First of all, I, I look, I get it. And like I said, these aren't, these, these aren't easy answers. Uh, but, but two points I would make is a, I, I don't think professional athletes have more on the line. The professional athletes, they got a season next year. They got a season the year after that. They're getting paid. These college athletes, this is like their only opportunity to engage in this. But I will also grant you that there would probably be, be breakouts. And, and, and frankly, they would probably be publicized and covered in, in a very ominous way. But to, to and, and, and again, this gets back to the whole, to, to, to the conundrum you're in here. But those breakouts would still occur. And, and in fact, they would occur in a much greater magnitude without these protocols and these dis- disciplines in place. Uh, so again, I'm an- acknowledging it would happen to a degree, but unfortunately, n- no one is, is going to be able to stand on the table and say, it would happen, but this is better than the alternative. And, and I understand that, but I also, I also think that this is fl- that's flawed in a lot of ways. And I, I would agree with Barton, too, because I think whether baseball, let's say baseball had been canceled. Let's say they'd canceled the season with Major League Baseball. Still might. Those players, right, right, they still could. <laughs> but up to this point, like you probably would have still had Marlins players going out, but it never would have been publicized. They never would probably would have been tested because a lot of them were asymptomatic. Same thing with the Cardinals. So these these uh, cases would have still happened, but it wouldn't have got the coverage. I'll just because this is the loophole that I think the players might have an angle with, and I, well, I think we can all agree there's nothing safe, right? There's no, and even the sport of football is not safe. It's inherently a dangerous sport that involves a lot, a large amount of risk. Um, but I think the the term safer than the alternative is what the players are are shooting for, and I think it's the smartest way that they can possibly get this thing accomplished. Or like we're all kind of acknowledging that we start a season, but who knows if we finish. So Darian Wrencher, who was one of the players that was kind of, uh, you know, voice was heard last night, said, if you told me I could only get COVID playing football, then that's a no-brainer to not play, right? I mean, I think we could all agree with that. Uh, But then he said, but fact is that we can get COVID being anywhere, doing anything, and if we cancel the season, it's still going to be here afterwards. Like, so I think that's the player saying we're aware of the risks. We're aware of the different situations that are available to us, either playing football going forward the season or not playing it. And they're saying 
we think it's safest for us to be. And that's that's in large part why Jim Harbaugh, you know, put out his statistical evidence that said, hey, we've had all these players in here. We've been testing. They've been minimal. We think we can do this. I don't think that I don't think college football can survive an outbreak the way that Major League Baseball has. Like, I mean, that's just that's why I don't think the season survives because of the 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 pushback that would come from the public, from media, from everybody, the criticism saying, I can't believe we're here. Although Clemson has survived to this point with what, 43 players testing positive and they're still practicing and they've still been doing okay. Like, bro, that Xavier Thomas story is concerning. Uh, Absolutely. And he's, and he's out and he's done for the year and he's, and he's going to do that. And I think there will be players and there should be players that opt out that say, you know what? It's not worth it to me. And and maybe there's, see, that's where I kind of hope, hold out hope, but maybe it's too late in the game where there's a policy. Hey, if you test positive, you're not going to be allowed to return to play. Like, period. Maybe that's maybe that's the concession because of the heart risks that are available. I I just think, and you know, the liability thing, because I know that's a big point of contention with a lot of people that cover college football. How can you ask them to sign liability waivers? I've signed liability waivers for staying at hotels, for flying on airlines, for having my daughters playing golf tournaments, for like you know, going to restaurants. I've, I just, I sign them. I'm like, I, yeah, I understand it. There's Danny, no. <laughs> Danny! Danny's internet didn't sign the liability waiver. <laughs> Is that it? I think yeah. that's I think that's it for Danny. That's it for Danny. Danny. You know, you know what pisses me off though? This is such and Chip, get the dump button ready. This is such a situation that we're in and that we need to be here having this discussion in the first place. Because you know what I'm doing right now as we're recording this podcast? I'm watching sports. I'm watching a soccer match in Europe. There's no people in the stands, but it's one of many soccer matches I've been able to watch because unlike us, countries in Europe didn't sit around and be like, eh, we'll announce it tomorrow. Oh, wait, no, let's have a meeting. We'll figure it out tomorrow. We'll figure it out tomorrow. We'll figure it out tomorrow. They just did it right away once it started happening. And then a couple months later, they were able to have their sports back. There's no discussions about can we play this season. They're playing. They don't have fans, but there's a chance that with this next soccer season, they're going to be able to have fans too because they didn't just sit there and pretend that it wasn't a big deal and we don't have to worry about it and maybe it'll just go away. They said, oh, crap, we need to deal with this. And they dealt with it. And because they dealt with it, they're allowed to do it. But because we didn't deal with it, the four of us are – three right now, four when Danny gets back. The th- we have to sit here and have this discussion about, well, what makes sense for them? Is this possible? Is it not? And it pisses me off because I love this damn sport. I don't want to have a fall without college football. It's one of my favorite things in the world. It's part of my identity as a human being. And the fact that I have to sit here and weigh the risk reward factor of some 19 year old kid possibly getting a disease that could affect him the rest of his life along with what I want for my own entertainment again, pisses me off. It's become part of our, uh, to, to have your, like, Monday, you're getting to talk smack with everybody about what happened over the weekend. To have, like, Tuesday or Wednesday, you start to line up your calendar. On Thursday, you're dialing in your locks. On Friday night, you're just either in a group chat or out at dinner, just making a, a big declaration about what's going to happen for the biggest game. Like, for the fan experience, for the fan experience, 
experience college football has become a shared experience because the national and it's a new one national college football scene did not exist 40 years ago it's a very very new thing and it's something that the cover three listeners have loved like the people that tune in to hear about um you know the fact of uh it oh wait it's gonna be windy in laramie like when you're tuning in for the the wonders out in Laramie, when you're tuning in for like the service Academy unders, like you're, we know that our listeners are all over the country and all over the globe. Like it is a shared experience and to have that shared experience taken sucks. I mean, it is just, uh, it, it, we already feel lonely from being locked up and, you know, only eating food that we're cooking for ourselves for six months at a time. And to, to think that even something else that gives us a little bit of joy and a little bit of connection taken from us hurts. But man, I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I can find myself a lot. I'm allowing myself to be sad without trying to put any blame. I feel like it, there's been a lot of misguided blame cast across the board where I'm mm-hmm. kind of sitting in a like, yeah, no, this sucks. This is really, this is very, very immensely disappointing but if 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 there's no if there is no college football this fall, I, I don't think that there's any I'm not ready to specifically blame uh, any like I, I'm not ready to start casting blame because I don't think that's helpful. There's there's a lot of blame to go around and a lot of that blame is getting put on people who shouldn't be blamed for it. You know, it's funny is um, not funny, but like it it's it's pretty remarkable because you know, like there is a lot of like, oh, like reporters like wishing for the worst. You know, you guys are the ones that congratulations or whatever. And it is when you think back to when Kirk Herbstreet, like the face of college football, tweeted out whatever he said, or, or I guess he was no, it was, I guess it wasn't a tweet. It was a it was an interview, like a TMZ interview or something, where he was like acknowledged some doubt about football in the fall. And that was like five months prior to the season or something. And he got eviscerated, Mm -hmm. absolutely eviscerated. And I don't think he's like tweeted since (laughs) as far as I know. And it's, it, it, that's to me is a very clear, um, at least, and 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 again, I'm not trying to cast blame either chip, but I think that's, that's a pretty clear indicator of like, you know what? A lot of people, probably needed to take this a little more seriously than they did. Um, and a lot of people, you know, the, the, the necessity of pointing fingers either way was, was, was not very helpful. Um, and, and just acknowledging what's coming is, is, you know, didn't, didn't have to be uh, taboo. Do you think yeah, that feel- if games are canceled, that all those support systems are going to be taken away from college football players? You think the games provide that structure so that they, they've got that shared ideology? Do you think they'll be like a lost in the woods? I'm just trying to help, I'm just trying to understand it more. Understand what? Like just the, the, yeah, the idea like is it is it a if games are canceled cuz I'm starting to like bring myself around to the idea of um, team activities taking place of uh, you know I guess we can go ahead and, you know, start to get to the like Nebraska side of this. The idea that like if a conference just makes an announcement that there could still be 
college football activities. Unless a university president says like, we're shutting down the studio. We're shutting down everything. Like, <laughs> like puffy on making, making the, the band. band. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like unless the university president or the college football coach shuts everything down. Like I, I, I absolutely see situation like you could punt on the 10 game conference only schedule that's been announced, but there could be scrimmages like there could be games. There could be stuff that can be even on television. We could have nothing but bowl games. Like I'm just not, uh, I, I don't think that the, I don't think that these dominoes are necessarily as damning as they are where it's, uh, if, if the big 10 comes out, commissioner Kevin Warren is like, we're canceling the fall, all fall sports. I don't think that they put a padlock on the facility. And then all of a sudden they're like, everybody's out to fend for themselves. I think that there's still going to be a lot of support team activities and the positivity and the positive life experiences that you get. I think that that can all still be there. Even with the absence of a certified big 10 2020 schedule. Yeah, but I, yes, I mean, I guess, or, sure, I, and then this is, I don't know, I don't even know if this is, you're, you're necessarily directing that at at the, the, the discussion earlier, but my question is, like, if we're doing all these team activities, like, I guess you can just be socially distant, and you're saying, all right, we're not having actual contact, and so, and we're still going to test you multiple times a week, and so if that's the case, then, okay, fine, like, I guess I get it. That's we're going to we're going to continue to to invest a lot of money in testing. We're going to continue to allow you to be around the program. You just have to do it in in the same way you've been doing OTAs. So I guess that makes sense. Um, But, you know, I don't know. It it feels like if if there's significant spread on campuses, that that, that's all going to come crashing down. Too. And so I don't know. I don't really know. Oh, what's if they send everybody home, yeah, that's, that's what you're like. If you're spinning it forward to even like if, if a university campus shuts down and everybody goes home. Here's, here's some, what if, what are the odds that if we cancel football or we, if, if football is canceled, how much longer until in-person classes are canceled this fall too? How much longer until schools say, Oh, and by the way, students aren't coming back to campus because I feel like, and this could just be, you know, I I have no evidence to support this. This is just a gut feeling where I feel like a lot of the idea of having students back on campus this fall was the same kind of, you know, fingers crossed kind of wishing and hoping that we've seen with football for the last few months in in which it was just, yeah, no, hopefully it'll just be fine by then and we can get back to normal. And now we're seeing football. We're not so sure things are going to get back to normal, but it was also... Well, it, we can't have football if students aren't on campus. So now I'm feeling like if they cancel football, it's probably only going to be a matter of time before they cancel in-person classes as well. That has and nothing it, to do with this. I'm just wondering. <laughs> and yeah, and the irony is that if student like, you know, the 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 narrative is the the line is if students if it's not safe enough for students to be on campus, then it shouldn't be. It's not safe enough to play football. And the irony of that is it's actually safer. Like if students aren't on campus, like that should be even more of a, mm-hmm. of a reason why football should be played. Um, but it that that circles back to the the optics, you know, like the optics conversation, and and it feels like optics are driving a lot of this. Oh, you mean the sham of amateurism? 
As, uh, <laughs> That? Hey, this this thing has exposed a lot of a lot of fault lines in our society, and I think that that just might be the latest one. Yes. Okay. So, can, can all right? Are you are you going to take us into the We Are United stuff now? Yeah, I was going to do that on the other side. All right. Okay. Coming up on the other side, how the players have gathered together in this pivotal moment for the sport. What will it mean for 2020 and moving forward? Next. Welcome to the Nothing Personal with David Sampson podcast. Do me a favor and blink, please. Did you blink? That's how fast the Major League Baseball season went in 2020. The postseason is already upon us. Whether it's baseball news, you want NFL, college football, water polo, chess, movies. If there's a story, we'll have it covered every weekday, five days a week. Just subscribe and download on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever else you find your podcasts. No BS, no soft tosses, no hot takes. You know, it's always business. It's nothing personal. There's nothing on earth quite like this. The Champions League is back at its new home on CBS All Access. Stream every match of the world's most prestigious tournament live. That's incredible. The UEFA Champions League group stage kicks off Tuesday on CBS All Access. There's nothing like it. We're right, united. Even right? Danny's back. Yeah. Am I, am I back? You guys <laughs> yeah. can hear me? Yeah. Yes. Jeez, yes. We, I, I, we I, are I, united. I, hashtag. I think I, you guys. Hey, you guys might have gotten a five-star review or two of that on there. All right, I think I think I figured this this has been infuriating. Sorry about that. All right, I think I'm good to go. You're in an internet dead spot in the house. No, it's the same. I just it's this Mac Mini that they gave me. I don't know what was going on. I I am good now. I'm back on the MacBook Pro. Mac Max, ready to go. Um, so I, so all right, Martin, what's the like? What's what's on your mind with the the Players United? Uh, I mean, there's so much, so much. Okay. So a couple thoughts I have on the players United stuff. Um, I think it's, you know, I think Tom, you made it, you, you talked about college football and college football players are not a monolith. Um, and I think that's a apt comment. And I think it's, it's to me that the, the players United stuff is really interesting because it's, it's a very powerful movement. And it's it's really awesome to see, like it is, and I think it's meaningful, and I think it's important, and I think this could be the beginning of very uh, significant change because these players are seizing it and understand their worth and their value and and their power. That said, it's strike like it, it's it's almost funny to me to think about like, okay. Uh, Trevor Lawrence and 12 other guys get on a Zoom call and release a statement about, you know, what they want in college football and we want to play and, and it's a, we want to play as a hashtag. And I don't know who all has tweeted out we want to play. I know I've seen a lot of Ohio State and Clemson guys tweet out we want to play. Hadn't seen a lot of like, I don't know, like like – like Akron guys tweet out, we want to play. Right? Well, it's, it's, Akron, you know, ship sailed on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's, it's like, there's, you know, there was this discussion about, or like there was the 400 people that are at PAC 12 United 
Um, and it just strikes me that there is no real way to determine what the real consensus is of college football players. And as, as I've been sort of fighting, not fighting, I'm not acting like I'm on the front lines of this, but as I've been sort of advocating for the, 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 the idea that it is safe to play or safer than the alternative and that there, there, there can be a way to play. I also sort of acknowledge the idea that just because Trevor Lawrence tweets, we want to play and just because Ian book tweets it and, and Justin Fields, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that the, the backup at Michigan state does like, it doesn't necessarily mean that. And, and so there's, there's this voice that's being projected that speaks for college football players. And I'm not necessarily fully confident that all college football players do want to play. I'm not fully confident that all college coaches want to coach. I think that like there's this, this is such a complex and nuanced issue. And I think that, and so I'm not even here coming up with like some profound statement or solution or anything other than just sort of an observation that as they've tried to seize their voice in this thing, it's, it's interesting that like, there's really no way to tell who that voice represents, really. Um, and again, all that said, I still really am, am encouraged by it and encouraged by the movement and think it is important and significant. And, and I, I just don't know that, it's, it, it, that any of it – and the, we saw with the Pac-12, 50% of revenue. Like guys started tweeting out like the next day, like, well, I'm not, I don't know about that. I kind of want to play ball this year. Um, and so it's, it's just, it just go, it just, I think it speaks to the difficulty to mobilize and, and all the challenges that are going to be ahead. I, as a, I was a player rep for the Denver Broncos. So I was a player rep in the players association, the NFL. It's impossible to get only what, 1500, 1600 on the same mm-hmm. page, but that's what the voices are for so that you can have those dialogues just as players and then hopefully come with a unified front to the bargaining table. But that's, see, this is where, and I took some heat, and I know I've taken a lot of heat on the comments anyway, but somebody uh, said last night, it was really insensitive for me to say that the players were, that the money, that the 50% revenue was really what they wanted. And when I said they, I should have clarified, because there, there are powerful people, and there has been one in particular who has really spearheaded a lot of the players unionized, players union, players association, and it was no coincidence that it was in the Pac-12 because this was a former player at UCLA who has been really pushing hard lobbying for basically the dismantlement of college football to try to completely, you know, just upheave the college football landscape as we know it. And that's where I had a problem with last time. And I think that's another thing that came into play and was no surprise once Trevor Lawrence got on the call with some of the players from the Pac-12 who had had this influence that then they put out, because remember the movement last night started as just tweets, like, hey, we just want to play. And then good for them for coming up with the, the concerted, hey, these are what we want. And it was also interesting that they dropped the 50% revenues. They dropped some of the other things, but there were things that are important that they needed to get out there. Um, so I do think there, there, it's not just the players. Like I, I think that's the point I want to make is there are people who are influencing the players because they think they know what is best and they're influencing them in towards that direction. And that concerns me. Now, I do have a question for Tom and Chip and Barton as well. I'll pose it to all of you guys because I am anti-pay-the-player. I'm pro name, image, and likeness. 
I'm pro getting bigger stipends. I'm pro better player experience. I'm better player medical and healthcare, but I do not want them to become employees. I do not want them to get paid as employees. So I, I guess that makes me anti-union, I guess. But on the flip side, I am 100% pro association or whatever you want to call it, pro player movement where their voices are heard. Is that possible or am I contradicting myself by saying that? I think anything is possible. I mean, I think, you know, it's there are some contradictions in what you're saying, but there's contradictions in so many parts of everything that we do, even with, you know, unions and hell, the government, politics. There's contradictions in every single thing we do. And so it's I think it's possible. It won't be easy. It won't be simple. And it would definitely take time. It's just like, you know, the players aren't going to be able to do it themselves. Like the person who is helping them along with this or has been kind of driving it behind the scenes, they need somebody like that because, I mean, let's be honest, kids these days aren't idiots, but these are still 18 to 22 year old kids for the most part who don't really have this kind of experience doing that kind of stuff. Like you said, you were a team rep, a player rep for the players union in the NFL. There aren't a lot of college kids right now playing college football who have that kind of labor and negotiation experience. So they're going to need advocates like that for them. It's just, I do think there is a way where you can unionize without directly paying the players. Like they can unionize to get the health insurance and all that kind of stuff that they want and to increase their stipend. And we can do all that. And I think they could do all that, increase the, give them NIL rights, increase their stipends, get them health coverage, get them a bunch of other stuff and probably do all that without saying, okay, and now we're going to add salaries to the mix. So maybe that's how they kind of skirt around it, where if there's no salary and it's just stipends, then they can keep the whole amateurism kind of angle where, no, they're not employees. They're just somebody we're taking care of. So I don't know. We we do it all the time in all sorts of parts of our society with new laws and new things that we allow people to do and get away with, even if they're, you know, against another law or for this law, whatever. So I think there's a way to do it. I'm not smart enough to be the one to know how to do it, but I could definitely see something like that being possible. Yes. The current player representation at the NCAA level overwhelmingly does not include college football players and is very Mm -hmm. small compared to what I think needs to be and what players deserve. And I do think that one or two spots on a 15 to 20 person across all divisions is not enough of a voice for uh, the immense power imbalance that exists between college football and their universities. I do, from what I've tried to understand here in the last, what was, I guess 15 hours, you know, since all this has really been uh, going is that there is an opportunity for a players association. That is a nonprofit organization. That is not a union where you are not going through a collective bargaining process, but you do have better representation And maybe it is going to take these players right now to make being on some of those committees something that's more attractive, not something that apologies to all soccer players, the nerd on the soccer player goes to do so that they can have a better job and a better resume down the line. Like like maybe it does become something that more people want to be involved with. But I think that the limited representation that does exist right now uh, still leaves them as a, a very, very small voice, and especially in college football, a very small voice in a big room where they need to have a little bit more of a say 
And it's so, so tough to imagine how that those player reps or that organization is even able to find a consensus across, you know, as you mentioned, all of like, you know, what, FBS, Power 5? I don't know. But I do know that the way the system is set up right now, the decisions for their well-being are often being made without them having a say. Yeah, and, and, I, and I do think, think it would... I'm sorry, I just... One quick... I do yeah. think it would be a lot easier or more likely to happen if the power five does break away from the NCAA and just kind of forms its own, you know, autonomous group. Cause I think that if you do that, then you can have a centralized form of, you know, government or whatever you'd want to call it between those five where they come up with, everybody has the same deals across conferences, because I think right now without that kind of, you know, group, it'd be really, really, really difficult. And that would probably be horrible news for the G5. And it would probably really affect the landscape for college football as far as that's concerned. But I do think if that's the direction we're going to go and that's what we're going to see. And I have an idea. I mean, look at things that are currently legal in this country compared to what was legal in this country 20 years ago and thinking, oh, that'll never happen. I don't think it's crazy to think that this will be exactly what happens within the next 20 to 30 years if it even takes that long. So, yeah. I'm no I'm no labor law expert, uh, but it strikes me as the the leverage that a union has is and and you know whatever we call this advocacy group for players, but the leverage that a group like that would have is the threat of refusing to play, and I think you can exercise that. more with, with with a little bit more peace of mind when you when there's no deadline on your eligibility if you're if you're a professional athlete and so it's hard for me to ever like like it's I think they I, I'm hopeful that there's more of a voice from the players and I'm hopeful that they are able to further um you know lean into their their the their, their power they have as student athletes but I also sort of have skepticism that like how much are they ever going to be able to really press the decision makers given that it's going to take some period some some unique year in which they they do refuse to play which is which is kind of what this season could be is 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 the year where you know the administrators want to play and but we're not going to play because we don't have the assurances that we need but because any other year you're sitting there and you're you're telling me like oh like based on all the the players before me or players that are going to come after me, I'm going to sit out and burn a year of my eligibility to 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 pressure the decision makers into making the climate more beneficial to those guys that are going to come after me. And by the way, it doesn't. It's not just me that's going to do this. It's going to be everybody. Like that. That's to me is like what's going to be hard to overcome in sort of the bargaining process. There is a Maybe cynical it- part of me that's like, oh man. I'm going to be so heartbroken if I find out three years from now that a, a large sentiment behind the scenes was like, okay, we just need to get these guys out of here. They're yeah. getting a little bit too friendly with each other. All these Zoom calls are making me a little bit uncomfortable. Let's just sort of punt on the season, and uh, we'll wait for a few new recruiting classes to come in. This will be old history by then. Like if that—that that is uh, that the the cynical part of my mind, Barton has gone there, and I hope that what, that's not correct. One question I have for you, Barton. It's kind of maybe a weird tangent, but based on what you said, like let's say this season is canceled and it's done. So, 
with the agreement and idea that every single player this year will not lose a year of eligibility. They will still have it if they want to use it. How would that impact recruiting? I'm, that's just maybe it's not the biggest concern, I think, but that's just something that popped in my mind when you were talking about that. Yeah, what would that uh, do for recruiting? Well, I mean, it's it's I mean, it's definitely something that we've thought about because it's something like you would have to have you'd have, you'd have to expand the roster, and you'd yeah. have to um and and so like it, I, I don't think it would again because the playing field would be sort of level and everyone would be working under the same. Uh, structures and and rules i don't know that it, how much it would change sort of who has the advantages or disadvantages it would just but i think you'd have to create some sort of uh delayed release of like bringing the roster back into balance um but no i think that that's you know it seems like that it, i i i don't know if they have the resources to add you know an additional 25 to 30 guys in the team on scholarship um and and keep keep the guys that that don't leave with through attrition, but uh, if there is no season, you know that that seems like something that'll be pushed. And it should. I mean, I, I yeah. have a I have a niece who played tennis, plays tennis at Clemson. She was a senior her last year of eligibility, uh, and her season was canceled right in the middle of it, and she didn't get. To, so then Clemson. Now they came up. Now this was this happened to a lot of spring athletes, you know, baseball players all 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 across the country. Some schools said. We'll give you an extra year of eligibility when the NCAA granted it, said you can do that. Some schools said, thanks for coming, but we don't have enough space. We don't have the rosters. We don't have the money, whatever reason it was. So it, it's it's really, really complex, I think, with the question that Tom is asking, because you, you would have to probably boost up the level of it's not 85 scholarships anymore. Is it 105? Or what does the number go to? And then it just it's this cascading waterfall, like this ripple effect that would not only impact Next year, like it, it would have, it would take years to kind of get back on track, back to eighty-five scholarships. You know what I mean? Like it's just, mm-hmm. it's a massive can of worms. Yeah, this is this is. I, I think that this is clearly something that is not just going to impact the twenty twenty season. This is going to be something that we're dealing with ramifications for whatever decision they make, whether it's to cancel the season entirely, to push it to the spring. We're going to be dealing with this for a while. Okay, let uh, before we get out of here, how do we feel about spring football? Can I ask you, Chip, can I go back one time? Because I think you opened up something that I did want to follow with you because you said the cynic in you said in three years are we going to find – like what did change over the – because we were, we were literally getting ready to discuss Big Ten win totals because the schedule was just released. Uh, you know, the SEC, we're waiting with bated breath. We're getting all these schedules. And then in three or four days, it went from, woohoo, here comes college football to all of a sudden – we're almost stopped down. Like it's almost canceled. What changed in that three or four days? Was it the player movement? Was it the the union uh, threat? Or was it, was, it a health it was, scare? It was the uh, the heart stuff. All all of it was like the Indiana offensive lineman, uh, as well as like the death of Florida State basketball player Michael Ojo. Like there's there's been just like and a little bit more information's come out on specifically the potential cardiac impacts, even after you recover. Um, I think that's made a lot of people nervous. And then I will say for the big 10, we started to get, um, even a week ago, we started to get reports that commissioner Kevin Warren favored the spring. And I don't, Mm -hmm. you know, so I think that at least on the big 10 front, there has been, uh, there has been some, a little bit less enthusiasm. Now they did, rob us of our 
beloved, like, you know, hours of sleep with this 8.30 a.m. Eastern time, tune into the Big Ten Network dramatic music schedule unveil. If you've been thinking about, if you've been thinking about going in the spring for more than a week, thanks a lot for taking those hours from us. We'll never have that back. But I, I, again, it's more the cynical part of me. And I think that it, the, information about the potential cardiac complications, even after you have recovered, that is what the medical advisors have been telling the university presidents. And that is what's been making them more nervous about proceeding. Yo, but they, uh, they mess around, let Alabama hire a doctor as their strength coach though. Did y'all see yeah. Matt Ray PhDs yeah. uh, mm-hmm. tweet about that? One thing that really irritates me about, uh, what did he say? One thing that really irritates me about COVID paranoia is the parent thought that we know nothing about how the body responds to the virus. We do, and there's a lot of people smarter than me working in this area. Now, all of a sudden, micro, myocarditis is an unknown possibility. I alluded to it in a paper I published in 2009 about sudden cardiac death among athletes. It happens after most infection, which we watch for warning signs all the time. Screening is very good. Nothing new here. I'm not giving any credence. I don't, I don't know if that's you know how how uh, how uh, much that should be trusted or not. Um, I just think it's, it's, it's kind Dr. of borderline amusing. But <laughs> Dr. Matt Ray, PhD, DDSMD yeah, has yeah. clearly already been ahead of all of this. You, you got the good doctor down there in Tuscaloosa now getting those guys ready. That's a, that's a dangerous weapon there. But, all right, so what do we think of, before we get out of here, what do we think about spring football? Better than no football, right? <laughs> I mean, that's as long as I we think, get the Buffalo bulls in the spring, I'll be happy. <laughs> My, I, yeah, I, listen, if it's on, I'm going to watch it. But my concern with spring football is then what does that do to the fall season again? Because now we're looking at a situation where, you know, if, when you play in the fall, you're playing 12 to 14 to 15 games over a four month period. But now we would have a situation where, like, say they play in March and they play like a 10 game schedule, something limited, they get it in. So now you've got them playing between March and January of the next year. So over nine months, you've got guys playing 24, 25 games. And what kind of impact will that have on their bodies? That's what concerns me. If it's, I hope that there's, but that said, me, I hope if they don't play this fall, I play this spring and we'll, we'll figure out the rest later, I guess. Give me the SEC and the ACC, and the Big 12 in the fall, Big 10 and Pac 12 in the spring. Totally. I'm I'm looking at eight Do months it. of locks, you know, <laughs> eight months of game previews. It throw in the maxion in the spring. I so I've I've sort of gotten myself to the point where if there is a spring season, I imagine we're not going to see any of the players who are going to the NFL. We will probably see no. more players um, you know, opt out even for concerns of like what you said, Tom. And I don't even know if a ten game schedule would be possible. I think you might even need to trim that way down. It might just yeah. be like the glorified spring scrimmages, which I would watch and <laughs> I would, I, yeah. And I would make <laughs> picks on, you know, like even if it's only going to be, you play your division or something for six games, you know, you practice during the week and, and play on Saturday, basically play the spring practice schedule Maybe even the quarterbacks wear non-contact jerseys. Sure. But like would watch, would make picks for. And I, I wonder if even the, the fall season is going to end up about in that same position where we end up looking at this academic year 
and there's just not going to be a college football playoff. There's not going to be one national champion. It's just every individual institution playing as much college football as they feel comfortable playing. Dusty Scott Frost quote. Yeah. Uh, yep. Like we're trying mm-hmm. to play, you know, whatever. They're, and then you got Ohio State coaches that are uh, talking about playing in the SEC. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm what saying. We, like the Big Ten well, could say, we're, Big what Ten says we're canceling the this like the schedule, and then Nebraska's like, all right, cool, home and home with Ohio State, let's go. I think that's right. a very uh, real possibility. Saban, Saban, twenty minutes ago to uh, Chris Lowe from ESPN, we shouldn't be having school. That's the argument. Why is it we shouldn't be playing football? Why has that become the argument? Fair point. <laughs> what Fair point. I, I think it's got to be anything is on the table. That's why I think that's the way the schools are going to approach it. Some of them, like when you hear Scott Frost say, we're willing to play anyway. When you hear Brian Hartline, wide receivers coach at Ohio State, you know, tweeting, hey, we'll join the SEC. Give us a call. Now, those are probably pipe dreams, but. Like spring football to, to take, would you take seven on seven football? Yeah. You know, I like I, I would. No. Right. right. No. You wouldn't, Tom. You say, forget it. It's no. too much of a shell. Take away, take away my linemen. What the hell am I watching? <laughs> <laughs> Fair what, point. What? But they are higher risk. So we're trying to, no. to, to take <laughs> So there was I the. Watch, uh, Tom watches the trenches, Danny. Tom doesn't care about <laughs> anything else going on out there. There, there was the, um, you know, Ryan Day and Jim Harbaugh got into a little, little, uh, Tussle. I don't know. Tussle, tussle, yeah. verbal tussle on like a Big Ten uh, coaches conference call. Um, all right, so big. Let's just say uh, Big Ten haven't even officially canceled yet, but we're, we're assuming it's going to. So let's assume Big Ten goes and cancels. And like, is there anything stopping just Ohio State and Big Ten players and coaches just showing up in a uh, you know some park in you know Detroit or something? And just saying, let's let's roll. That's like, what your beloved Yale Bulldogs did during the nineteen eighteen span or nineteen eighteen Spanish flu, <laughs> as college football was getting shut down across the country. Uh, Harvard and Yale announced that they would meet at an undisclosed place at a certain time and still continue their competition. Hell yeah! Any yeah. time, any place, anywhere. I mean, they could Harvard do it as like a would. charity event. Like remember when uh, those were like the first golf thing? We had those charity matches. We could have a charity Ohio State Michigan game on a random Saturday. Get everybody <laughs> yeah. quarantined two weeks ahead of time. It's possible. I'm. I am not giving up. Even if I'm conferences, even if conferences cancel the season at the conference level, I don't think that that means that everything is coming crashing down. I don't think that means they're putting padlocks on the facilities. I still think that there could be some kind of competition or college football available in the fall. Well, just just what just what we need though is because I, I like I love college football because of the passion from the fans, and usually there's this unified front like we all love college football, right? It's there. This is, and as we've seen, this pandemic has completely divided it. So uh, divided all uh, along a lot of lines, even you know fans that might have been for the same team or even fighting among, uh, amongst each other. Well, thank goodness now we have the president weighed in, which won't throw any gasoline on this fire whatsoever. Now that he's quote tweeted Trevor Lawrence, <laughs> then he followed it up with a play college football. I like this to me is the most depressing aspect of being in this business at this time. Cause I didn't get into this to talk politics and to try, because it will be pegged. Oh, you want college football. 
you must be far right. You don't want it. You're far left. And then it just completely continues the divide to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So just something to look forward to this week with the president weighing in. Danny, the president didn't tweet. He issued a statement according to the email I got from the White House, which was just a screenshot of the tweet. It was <laughs> President, Donald Trump, yeah. President Donald Trump issues statement on college football season. And it's literally, hi, Tom, we think you'd like to see the statement issued by President Donald Trump. And it was a screenshot of the tweet. <laughs> Which tweet? The one on top of Trevor? Right? The retweet? Yeah. Or was it the, the retweet of Trevor? The retweet? Yeah. It's funny. It's almost like so he gave the Trevor Lawrence retweet, and he must have gotten like some good, like the base must have been happy about that one. Because then like 20 minutes later, he comes back just with like an all caps, like college football. Here's <laughs> <And>, uh, <laughs> how it. Let's take a vote. Do you think he read the whole graphic in Trevor's tweet? Like the part at the bottom where he says that the players want to unionize. Do you think the president saw that part before retweeting it? Definitely not. Uh, he just saw yeah. that those flowing locks and remembered handing out hamburgers to all the Clemson's football team. I remember that kid. He was a good looking yeah, kid. Yeah. I'm going to tweet him. I want him to play. He's, he's a nice guy. He's a beautiful Wait boy. Wait till Trevor Lawrence is in the box at the State of the Union address. Like, that's going to be the next move. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. What a mess. Um, I mean, any anything else? How's, how, do, we, do we feel like our, our grievances have been aired? Uh, oh, oh, I did, I did want to remind, uh, mo, like, more than half of America is not on Twitter. So what we see the fighting on Twitter isn't the fighting that exists in the vitriol that exists in everybody's heart. So that's, it's maybe a good reminder that I tell myself and that I think we could all share. Well, I got a question for you guys. Cause I, I'm, I'm clinging on you got, I, yeah, I've only been on the show a few, a handful of times. I cling to the hope that I have, uh, what little hope there is. What about Greg Sankey's comments? Cause he did weigh in after all. And it's, I think it's interesting. Cause I do think I have appreciated the way that the sec has handled this. I think better than any other conference, being transparent, giving information, not having a lot of anonymous sources. They did have the recorded call, but even uh, that call I thought was pretty informative and open and gave the players a platform to share some of their uh, concerns. But, you know, he has this thing out an hour ago before we're taping this podcast says, hey, the best advice I've received, be patient, take time when making decisions. This is all new and you'll gain better information each day. Then he followed it up and said, the SEC has been deliberate at each step since March, slowed, sold return to practice, delayed first game, developed testing protocols. We know concerns remain. We have never had a football season in a COVID-19 environment. Can we play? I don't know. We haven't stopped trying. We support, educate, and care student athletes every day and will continue to do so every every day. That to me says he's going to wait this out even longer and try to it's because I, Florida, where I am, the tests are starting. You know, the cases are starting to come down. Deaths are starting to come down. Is there a, a hypothetical where cases actually improve? Because we've seen the you know the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows of this virus, where Sankey just holds in there, waits, holds the line, and then all of a sudden says, "Hey, we we see an opportunity to play." So I, I actually think, in, in a way, like. The, the Donald Trump tweet to me is not insignificant because I, particularly given the Southeast is more of a uh, red um, region, uh, to me, like it, it gives a little bit of cover if people are looking for cover. Um, 
and and if if decision makers are looking for cover, they might be able to find it in political support. And and if as you know, Ben Sass, the uh, senator from Nebraska, tweeted something or there a letter was I guess leaked um, that he sent to the presidents um, in the Big Twelve. I guess uh, like I just think that there's there's a little bit more of a political groundswell, which I think points to. And again, all this is with the sort of um, caveat that, like, I, I don't like. I don't think anyone knows what the right or wrong answer is. But if there is, if there's more support from on high, then it feels like there's just going to be a little bit more of a of an inclination to 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 roll. I mean, I, am I, I wrong? I, get, I don't know. I don't think you're wrong, but I think that at the end of the day, politicians are politicians, you know, right, left, independent, wherever you are. And if you look at, you know, the politicians mostly that have been tweeting and vocal about this so far, like, you know, you said the president, large part of his votership base is in the southeast where college football is huge. We've seen like governors and senators from Georgia and Florida tweet, you know, let them play. We saw Jim Jordan, a, a congressman from Ohio, where college football obviously is huge, tweet, let them play. It's not a coincidence that the politicians who are tweeting, let them play, live in yeah. states where football's huge because there's an election in November and you're scoring free brownie points. So I don't know what kind of impact that's actually going to have. I don't think it hurts. I don't think if you want to play, having the president saying, let them play hurts your position, or at least with half the country, it doesn't hurt your position with one half the country. It hurts your position. So I don't know. I just, it's weird. I think that when you're a politician, you just look for anything you can do to score some points. And I think that's a lot of what we've seen on Twitter from them today. I think that Sankey's statement powers my belief that the SEC is going to give it a go, that they're going to try, that they're yeah. just going to hold the course and they're going to try and we'll see. I, I don't think that they will be influenced by any announcements that may be made this week. I think they're just going to continue to keep moving forward and see what happens. And I, I think that the ACC might be also on that same kind of plan because uh, John Swafford has rarely moved like very quickly, like, right. It's always been very calculated. It's always been very plotting. So we'll see. I don't know. I think we're going to we'll say we'll I see. think that I think there's two arguments to be made is one is, yeah, you should wait until there's as much information as possible. But on the other side of that, if you're standing on a train track and there's a train bearing down of you, how much time do you want to spend thinking about whether you should get off the tracks or not? I mean, that's, that's that, de that depends the how you're looking at how, how much you enjoy the feeling of standing on those tracks. <laughs> this could be because at some, some point you won't be able to wait anymore. At some point you need to make a decision. Yeah. I don't know. Wild stuff. Uh, all right. We will continue to monitor. We will continue to keep you abreast of everything we know, everything we're hearing, everything we're feeling. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Tom Finelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.
majors down and one to go in 2020. Bryson DeChambeau overpowered his peers at the US Open. Can he carry that into November for a fall edition of the Masters? We're chatting about that and more on the First Cut Golf Podcast, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. We're in your feed week in and week out with tournament previews, picks, interviews, news, and analysis. Join Mark Immelman, Kyle Porter, Greg Ducharme, and myself, Rick Gaiman, as we give you daily fantasy plays, winning bets, and the hottest takes about Bryson, Phil, and Tiger. So what are you waiting for? Come join our group and let's talk golf. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or anywhere else podcasts are found.